Welcome to the Steps to Investing podcast, helping aspiring investors get to grips with the world of finance and investing. Hello, I'm Simon Longfellow. And I'm Marcus De Silva. And in our last programme of the year, we talk income. How to get an investment income, what you can expect from different types of investment, and some top tips on income generation. To do this, we talk to Cherry Reynard, a freelance journalist specialising in all things investment, asset management and personal finance. But first, let's get a quick roundup of the week's news. What's been happening in the markets this week, Marcus, as we face Tier 4 lockdown and Brexit blues? Thank you, Simon. And in our last markets update of 2020, the year to be forgotten, we hear of stubborn irritations unfortunately not yet behind us, as coronavirus reminds Brits it's still on the rampage and Trump needles his own Republicans by not signing the much-needed pandemic stimulus bill. Yes, it's been a case of some pre-Christmas jitters earlier in the week in UK markets, as harsher Tier 4 restrictions widened across parts of the country on the back of a new transmissible strain of the virus going on the march. It led France to temporarily block certain freight coming from the UK on concerns over human handled goods, which stacked lorries on the motorway in Kent and panicked some over the potential for empty supermarkets and a hungry Christmas. This unsettled markets until the blockage eased and news emerged that the UK and EU were very close to signing a Brexit trade deal, having rattled through certain issues on fishing. If so, friction over the roughly $1 trillion worth of trade with the bloc will be smoothed, as will any concerns over safety in Northern Ireland, which should please US President-elect Joe Biden. All in all, the FTSE 100 has recovered a little, but still down 109 points to 3,505 with a stronger pound. And the stock 600 futures are trading well on hopes of the deal, but the index is trading broadly flat for the week at 396 points. Over in the US, the $900 billion coronavirus stimulus bill worked its way through both chambers of Congress, ready for signing into law, but it was hobbled by none other than the nation's favourite president, Donald J. Trump. Angry that Republican Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell dared accept the results of the fairest election in US history, Trump is refusing to sign the bill until certain demands are met, reneging on promises made but a week ago. That said, with very broad bipartisan support for the bill, plus the spectre of a government shutdown on Monday if new funds aren't released, he is expected to sign it or face an override of his veto in Congress. It's led to understandable choppiness in markets there. The S&P 500 is down 26 points for the week to 3,690. Okay, let's move on and take a look at companies. Tesco has introduced rationing on some products such as eggs, rice, soap, and of course toilet roll as buyers flock to supermarkets following the introduction of a new tier of COVID restrictions last weekend. In an email to its customers, the store said that the move is to make sure everyone has access to the products. Customers are allowed to buy up to three of each of the rationed items. 
The issue of irrational panic buying by the public is being compounded on the supply side by issues at UK ports. Almost 3,000 lorries remain stranded in Kent after restrictions on travel and freight between the UK and France were introduced. Tesco's share price is down 9% this year. Electric car maker Tesla is set to join America's benchmark S&P 500 stock index of the 500 largest companies in the US on Monday, giving millions more investors a stake in the car maker, as funds which track this index will be forced to buy shares in the company. Demand for its cars has been resilient this year despite the pandemic, but adding Tesla to the S&P 500 could mean a bumpier ride for investors in funds that track the index, as the company's share price has followed a roller coaster ride over the last few years. This year, its share price has gone from $86 in January to around $645 a share at the moment. Hotel and restaurant group Whitbread, the owner of Premier Inn, Beef Eater and Brewers Fair brands, has asked its landlords for a 50% cut in rent for the next three months as pandemic restrictions continue to hit the business. Whitbread is Britain's biggest hospitality group with 800 hotels in the UK and Ireland. It's asked landlords to share some of the pain of the pandemic as pubs and restaurants stay closed in large parts of the country. Whitbread's share price is down 25% this year. Okay, so that's the week in markets and companies. And now on to this week's interview. And today we find out some more about investments that generate income. To get the lowdown, Marcus spoke to freelance personal finance journalist Cherry Reynard. Now, I checked my HSBC savings account before starting this pod, and I realise I currently receive 0.01% for parking my money in their savings account, so pretty much zero and pretty rubbish. In this low interest rate environment, let's say you have access to a pot such as a pension and you want to generate some income off it without corroding the capital value over time, or even trying to add to that capital value, no fear. There are other assets in the investing world that have this income-generating potential. This is the topic of award-winning journalist Cherry Reynard's article in the next Steps to Investing guide, which will be on your laps over Christmas. So she's here with me today to discuss the article. Cherry, welcome to the pod. Hi, Marcus. Okay, well, let's start with interest rates. I mean, I mentioned there in my introduction, they're pretty low. Why are they so low, Cherry? Well, we've had a series of crises. So first there was the global financial crisis, and then more recently we've had the pandemic. Um, So the Bank of England has been pushing rates lower and lower. Um, And this is designed to encourage borrowing and stimulate the economy. But the trouble is it has this really nasty side effect for savers which is that the banks push their saving rates down to really low levels. So your HSBC rate is actually not unusual at all. Um, We see most savings rates now paying below 1%, which is behind inflation. So the reality for many savers is that they're losing money in real terms over time. Mm. Yeah, and it seems as if since the financial crisis, you know, they never really recovered. So for an awful long time now, savers have really been losing out, especially when you compare those rates to inflation. Do you think this is going to change 
any time in the future as well. Well, I mean, the trouble is we've all got slightly addicted to low rates. So, you know, the Bank of England is worried that if they mm. push rates back up to a more normalised level of, I don't know, 4% or so, then people won't be able to pay their mortgages and they won't be able to pay their loans and that, you know, that they'll have less disposable income, which will have a knock-on effect on spending and the economy. And that could prompt an economic shock at a time when the economy is already really fragile um you know it's hitting people's livelihoods really hard already so i mean rates definitely are going to stay low for the foreseeable future and you know financial markets currently predict that they'll you know it could be a decade or more before interest rates rise so it makes sense you know if, if we're in the part of the economic cycle where we're now going into recovery from from a big shock then, of course, that's the time that rates are low. So you can see why, unless inflation comes through in a, in a, in a particularly strong way, that, that's why they're, not re- they're unlikely to rise anytime soon. Yeah, and actually some of the central banks, I mean, more the US than the Bank of England, but some of the central banks have actually said, we're kind of going to overlook higher inflation for the time being um, until we can be really sure that there's a meaningful recovery economic recovery in place um so i mean actually i think inflation might even drift a little higher before Mm. central banks start to consider raising rates because they'll find things like jobs more important at this stage than than inflation is that right oh yeah absolutely absolutely i think that's their their top priority Okay, interesting. So, okay, so it, we're painting that environment where savings are, uh, rates are pretty pretty paltry. Um, in your article, you mentioned that there, there's four areas in the investment markets that investors can find in income. It's not it's not guaranteed, of course. Um, so let's start with stocks, um, and this is dividend income, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So um, a company is paying out um, a share of its its profits. Um, as as dividends. It won't be all of its profits, but it'll be like a proportion of it. And how reliable are dividends? Well, I mean, if we'd had this chat this time last year, I'd say they were pretty reliable. (laughs) Um, But then COVID (laughs) hit and around half of all UK companies cut their dividends. So that (laughs) that doesn't look terribly reliable. And I must say, even though that sounds bad, I would caveat it with the fact that it wasn't nearly as bad in lots of other countries around the world. The UK was particularly hard hit. Um, So if you'd had global dividend funds, you would have been in a better position. Um, I think also a good active manager can can dodge some of those dividend cuts. Um, And also we're now seeing some of those dividends start to come back. So a lot of companies just cut the dividend while they were waiting to see what would happen and what would happen to their profits. And, you know, now they're saying, okay, you know, we've got enough visibility on the future to start paying again. And why would I not just go and find a, you know, a good, strong dividend paying company? Um, Why do you think funds are a better idea in in this regard? Well, I mean, it's, it's always good investment um, strategy to have a range of investments. So some of the real blue chip pop UK companies 
have cut their dividends um, in the recent rout. And and if you only own one company and they cut your dividend, you're you know you're in a spot of bother. Um, but if you own mm. fifty and one cuts its dividend, then you know your your income or the income that you may be relying on um, doesn't fall as far. Um, I would add like a word on investment trusts as well, which I which I mentioned in the article. You know, investment trusts can save up their income in buoyant times to pay it out in tough times. And as such, a lot of investment trusts this year didn't have to cut their payouts to shareholders, even though the underlying income from their companies dropped. Um, so for me, that's that's a good reason to, to like investment trusts. Mm. But it also shows the advantages of a kind of collective investment rather than just trying to pick, you know, one or two that seem like they've paid good dividends in the past. So having a, a diverse spread of investments that are all paying dividends protects you a little bit against one of them that may falter during a, a tough time. And then also these revenue reserves in investment trusts can be very useful because when all of them cut, they have a pot that they can dip into, basically. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's how it works. So bonds then, these are the other, I mean, if you think of the two big big assets in the markets that pay pay um, income, you've got, you know, uh, dividends from shares, and then you've got bonds, coupon payments from bonds. Um, so so explain bonds a little bit, you know, are, are, is this income a little bit less risky than dividends? Well, yes, it should be. So bonds are a loan, so, and so the company is obliged to pay the bondholder, whereas dividends are discretionary and dependent on profits. So, you know, in practice, the only reason a company won't pay its loan back is if it's if it's in default, um, which you know usually happens in the case of bankruptcy. Now, I mean, that happens. We've had Debenhams, we've had Hertz. So, you know, major companies do go bankrupt, but you know actually bondholders even when companies go bankrupt but bondholders could get some of their money back as a company is liquidated so yes it it does tend to be let you know a less risky option so basically in that capital structure of a business bondholders come before shareholders right yeah yeah absolutely yeah. And can you explain why economic policies at the moment, you know, we've seen some extraordinary economic policies, um, uh, you know, both fiscal from governments and monetary from central banks. And this is providing a bit of a unique distortion in the bond markets, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, we're back to central banks and pushing interest rates lower again. And, you know, it's a big problem for fixed income markets today. So the, the income on a corporate bond, which is a bond issued by a company. Um, I mean, there are lots of things that go into uh, what it is, but the two main things are the prevailing interest rate um, as set by the central bank and the perceived riskiness of the company. So interest rates are super low and that pushes the income available on bonds much lower, um, particularly for good companies where, you know, investors aren't getting a lot of compensation. So to get the same income from a from a bond, you're having to go 
for riskier and riskier companies um and in a climate where um where companies are increasingly going bust um because of the coronavirus uh crisis um you know that's a that's a problem also i should say that mm. government bonds um are now paying you know a, t a 10 year uk guilt is is paying just next to nothing yeah, it's remarkable, isn't it? So is this why, I mean, do you want to explain a little bit about dynamic funds and why you think they might be a, a good idea considering this environment? Well, the nice, and they, they come under lots of, you know, they'll be called dynamic bond or strategic bond or all those kind of things. So they've got, they've got a variety of names, but really they're just funds where the fund manager can sort of roam around the market looking for good opportunities. So they might be investing in corporate bonds or government bonds or municipal bonds and they might be investing in the US or UK or emerging markets or that sort of thing. And this just at a time when overall bond markets don't look very exciting because the income is so low. Um, they, they've, they've got choice to sort of um, to pick a portfolio of you know wherever there are you know lingering opportunities and so i think and you know they can also find sources of income that way so actually i think that's probably the best way to deal with today's fixed income markets mm -hmm. quite a, lo a lot of various risks that are sort of baked into it this gives them the maximum opportunity to go whether it's in corporate company bonds or government bonds around the world there's there's plenty of of areas in which they can try and seek out income at, at that at the right level of risk as well that they want to take yeah yeah and i mean you have to trust to the fund manager to some extent um but you know some of them they've got big teams they've got um you know lots of people looking at the market so they're really in a good position to find the best opportunities. Let's move on to um, property. Um, so what, what, what does the kind of property market look like? What, what kind of properties do, can you invest in? Um, well, um, it's, it's, it's been tough for sure. So profit, property funds make their money from buying a commercial property and renting it out to corporate tenants. So, you know, that might be high street shops it might be offices it might be industrial units or warehouses and that sort of thing now um lots of companies haven't been making any money and therefore haven't been able to pay their rent um mm. and so it hasn't helped that there have been various sort of government things in place to help businesses but the, but the government's kind of said oh it's okay for tenants not to pay their rent in the short term um and so landlords kind of have to take a hit for that um and it's been particularly acute in obviously high street retail and to some extent in the office market as well where you know offices just haven't been occupied um and so property fund managers who are effectively landlords you know they've done their best they've been negotiating with tenants um trying to find a path through it um but it has undoubtedly left them with a gaping hole in their income um and at the same time 
the value of the properties has dropped because you know you can't get as much income from them so they're not as valuable um so it's it's been pretty it's been pretty miserable um now obviously that that might come back certainly the office market may come back but you know some areas like high street retail you know will that will that really recover i mean there's there's quite a question mark over that i mean if, if you stroll down any high street you're seeing lots of boarded up shops um so property managers with you know big holdings in in high in high street are in a bit of a bind um and whereas where but there are property and property funds which are more focused on sort of industrial property that may fare a lot better so for example a couple of the um a couple of the big asset managers have got trusts focusing on um warehousing for e-commerce and that and that e-commerce has created huge demand for that particularly this sort of last mile um speedy delivery thing um so actually there are niches in the property market that have done really well you just you just have to know what you're getting if you like Mm-hmm. Yeah, you wouldn't have thought with sort of digital propositions that what impact that might have. But you, I mean, I've seen the enormous Amazon distribution centres. Um, I'm trying to think where near, nearby. We're driving out of London, and and certainly when you're getting services such as I, I will get my items within two hours, you can see why um, there's a need for these lots and lots of regional little distribution centres, and why that might be quite a good niche. Yeah, the. Um... Yes, it, I, Milton Keynes is the amazing one. Ah, there are these that's, just yes that's on it, the yeah. M1. Yeah. There are just these vast um, warehouses. They're absolutely incredible, mm. and they're all. Um, I mean, apparently they're all completely state of the art. You know, run by robots and mm. you know amazing mm. sort of technology. Mm. Mm. Um, and obviously, there's still real demand for that 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 type of property. Yeah, I can understand that. Okay, well then let's go on to the fourth area, which is alternatives. And certainly we've seen um, quite a lot of launches. We, we mentioned investment trusts. Um, there's certainly been a few launches of investment trusts in this area. So, you know, how, how weird and wonderful uh, does it get uh, in terms of alternatives and investments here? Well, I mean, it can, it can sound quite wacky to, um, <laughs> um, at, at first, um, you know, at first glance or whatever. Um, you've got things like aircraft leasing, and catastrophe insurance bonds and shipping um but actually in a lot of cases it's it's just that that you've got an asset and you're making an income out of that asset so you know you've got a plane and you're leasing it to people so so it's kind of it's kind of not that complicated in, in reality um obviously aircraft leasing has had a horrible time so that's probably a bad example but but there is some really interesting stuff amongst these alternatives. I mean, things like solar farms, for example, and you know some of the infrastructure assets. Really interesting. You know, there's there's one of the investment trusts has just invested in these amazing kind of greenhouses, which are so state of the art. They they um, they even the roofs adjust, are linked to the Met Office and adjust with different weather patterns. I mean, it's just so, <laughs> so clever. 
and you know these but these assets you know they, they pay a good income and they're usually pretty resilient in an economic downturn so um and i i, I think they're really i mean you have to be careful um and and do your research but i but i think some of them are really interesting yeah i mean certainly when you're thinking about some of those more sustainability themes which talking to a number of multi-asset fund managers and various fund managers you know they think this is a big theme um, especially with the amount of money that, that they expect governments, especially the Biden administration, Johnson, we've seen in the in the EU, there's a there's a lot of um, uh, money that's going to flow into sort of green investments as well. Um, you know that this this is this could be a strong investment uh, into the future. Um, and I was also thinking of, I mean, you must have heard of hypnosis, the uh, the music rights um, uh, trust. That's another good example of something that's quite unusual of uh you know buying up historical back catalogues um uh with quite reliable income from from certain mu musicians and and um using that to provide an income which i thought was quite interesting yeah absolutely and i think the thing with all these things is they're they're kind of it's a different type of investment i mean shares are one thing and and you know normal stock market investment but with this you can really see what what your money's doing and, wh and where it's going and i think that's and that's that's true of vsg funds um more widely but but i think that's that's really interesting and it's sort of a it's a, like a different approach and i think it's got a lot of appeal okay finally i just wanted to draw on you know what what top tips do you have for investors who are you know looking at these sorts of funds and they're seeking an income <laughs> I, i'm gonna be really boring so, um, <laughs> right. So, I mean, you can forget cash. Okay, so that's that's not going to do anything for you. It's it's useful to give you some optionality, perhaps, but it really, you know, it's not going to generate you an income. So, forget about that. But obviously, if you're moving out of cash, you're taking a risk. So. Or, you know, the best way to manage that risk is by holding a portfolio of investments that don't all move in lockstep. So, you know, a bit of equity income, a bit of fixed income, plus a few alternatives. And then, you know, the income may vary a bit, go up and down and things like that, but you get a more consistent sort of income and, you, you know, you should get capital growth as well. Um, I would also say sort of don't be afraid you know i think 2020 is likely to be the worst year we've ever seen for income investments particularly in um the day in the stock market um so d don't look at that as a, as a benchmark it hopefully it will all be uphill <laughs> <laughs> magic words i'll hold you to that um cherry reynard thank you very much thank you okay that's all we have time for and indeed that's it for the final show of the year check out our review of the year next friday on new year's day and then we'll be back with our regular show the week after have a great christmas and take care until the next time goodbye